0: Hey guys, Leah Pika here. Today's guests are best known for turning boring data into juicy stories that win the hearts of clients and bosses everywhere. Stay tuned to find out who's crashing the party on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 21.
1: Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the
2: intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics, visualizations, and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the 21st episode of Present Beyond Measure. It's now legal for my podcast to purchase alcohol, gamble, take a cruise alone, purchase a firearm, and adopt a child. Hopefully not all at the same time. That would be a little too ambitious, at least for me. So I hope you're enjoying your summer. You may have noticed that I've been on a bit of a relaxed schedule this summer. You know, there's been so much excitement with speaking and onboarding as my new role as director of data visualization and storytelling at Search Discovery that it's been kind of hard (laughs) keep up. But I have so much amazing content and an incredible guest lineup coming right at you as we get back into the swing of things. But first, I wanted to take a moment to read a lovely review of the show on iTunes. Haven't done this in a while. Awesome podcast to take your presentation skills to the next level by Krista Six. Leah Pika's podcast series on data visualization and presentation skills is just what our industry needs to help us all become better presenters and storytellers. Her episodes are full of great tips and resources, as well as interesting guests that she brings in to drive home data viz and presentation concepts through a variety of examples from industry leaders. Great work, Leah. Ugh what a fantastic review. I am so humbled and I'm just so happy to hear that I'm still on track for y'all. So thank you so much for that. And remember, as a show of thanks, I'll be reading out my favorite reviews to show my appreciation. So if you'd like to leave a review and get a shout out, please visit the show in iTunes and click ratings and reviews. I really, really appreciate it. So I'm super excited about my two guests today. They co-wrote a book that has become a foundation for my data visualization and storytelling practice with the mission of creating a more data-fluent organizational culture. And I'll be speaking with them in just a few weeks at the Nashville Analytics Summit on August 11th. Super exciting. But more on that in a little bit. For now, let's get right to it. What's up guys? I'm so psyched to introduce you to today's guests, plural. This dynamic duo are the brain trust behind Juice Analytics, an organization dedicated to helping organizations learn the language of their data. And now very good friends of mine, they are authors of one of my favorite data presentation books called Data Fluency. I highly recommend that. And they're also creators of Juicebox, a brand new tool for visualizing data and really help communicate the value of that data across the organization. Zach is the business guy, Chris is the tech guy. Yes, they are brothers. Please help me welcome Chris and Zach Gemignani. What's up?
2: Hey, hey Elia,
1: thanks for having
0: us. <laughs> my that's pleasure. Zach,
1: and I'm I'm Chris over here on the left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good. They can't see you, so that's actually very helpful. <laughs> so, um, you know your your work has had a profound effect on my own practice, and I just really want to recognize and share that with you. And I bring you guys to every training workshop, every conference. Um, you're mentioned in there as just a, a really integral part of doing this well. Um, but first. I love to hear a good origin story. I would love to hear a little bit more about the path that led you guys to create Juice Analytics.
2: Sure thing. Uh, So we, Chris and I, about a little over 10 years ago, we can hardly believe it. uh, We were working together at that time. Chris is a consultant and I was an employee at at a company called AOL. And uh, we were looking for an opportunity to not work at AOL and work and find... um, Do something together. So Chris and I came up with the name Juice and knew we wanted to do something related to data and and started out on our own, really working with clients, just kind of more of a traditional analytics, trying to help those clients understand and find insights in their data. Uh, But the thing that happened for us pretty early on was that we found that the piece that we really got passionate about, the piece that we really energized us in our work was was how we could communicate that data and find creative, interesting visual ways to, after we had done the analysis, to present that data to our clients. Mm-hmm. And we um so pretty early on, we kind of uh focused ourselves on becoming experts on how how to visualize data and uh, tell stories with data. And that's that's kind of how we got our uh started got our built our name and and built a lot of our expertise.
0: So I guess in your early career presenting information, you know, was that something that came naturally to you guys or was it more of a slower evolution?
1: It, it came pretty naturally to us. And one of the real early interests that I had was trying to really finely slice information. So like showing, showing what one person was doing and gathering all the information that we could about that one person and building a data story around that one person. And, um, so I had a lot of, I had a lot in my tool set, uh, back then I was using SAS and Excel and doing some pretty crazy stuff with Excel.
0: <laughs> I bet. And would you say that, you know, presenting had an impact on your visibility in your organization or how your career actually progressed?
2: Well, for me, um, this is Zach, we, I actually, I was in consulting for a lot of years and presenting did actually. Played a really critical role in my early consulting years, where I, I kind of staked out this place in the in my job as a someone who specialized in creating PowerPoint presentations that were um, really clean and easy to understand and told the the story for our consulting assignment really well. So I, I sort of um, that became an area where I felt like. I could really distinguish myself and I think that there was a combination really between Chris and I where my interest in presenting results and and telling the story around the data and getting people to conclusions matched up nicely with his skill sets around analyzing understanding that data and and be able to do that with larger data sets
0: that's great so um talking about data fluency I love this book, Um, (laughs) empowering your organization with effective data communication. So for me, this book really stands out because, you know, you have your Tufti, Stephen Few, um, Cairo, all of those books about the design of data, and and they're, I mean, extremely important works. But where I felt your book really stood out was talking about the struggles that people have between the data manipulator, not manipulator, but the one who controls the data and the one who receives it. And, you know, especially within complex organizations. So it goes beyond pretty charts. It's about nurturing the relationship of that analyst and stakeholder by presenting it in a consumable way. So what do you think are some of the greatest challenges that analysts face in facilitating that relationship?
2: I'm glad you love the book. And um, we really felt like when we we asked to write this book and we, we got in touch or Nathan Yao actually reached out to us about writing a book. And it was pretty much what you said that, that there were a lot of, for us there are a lot of great books out there and people had, had put down, you know, what are the, the fundamentals of visualization and the ways to think about it. But we felt like this question of how do you help people within organizations, within really social environments where people are trying to make decisions together where there are you know uh, organizational politics and uh, people's roles are you know how their roles interact all those questions of within kind of an organization in between people that that really there wasn't a book out there that helped people think about how they could take all that data we all we know everyone's swimming in data but really focus on how that data gets used and communicated within an organization in a way that actually is going to drive people to make decisions on that. So yeah. there are a whole host of challenges that, that that I think we describe in that book from you know the the role of the data author and how you design things effectively, but also really understanding your audience, the the kind of the consumers of that data and how best to tell a story to those people.
0: Yeah, I, it's so true. You know, the data-driven organization is, I think, one of those catchwords right now. Sort of like data storytelling. And what I love about this book is it's a really concrete approach for actually figuring out how to create an organization that's leaning towards being data-driven. It's not this overnight magical thing that just happens. Uh, it's yeah, we've got text.
2: great feedback on the book, and and we there are some schools that are using it for teaching and other people in organizations that I think recognize exactly that, recognize the problem that we're poking at, and also realize that they need really practical advice and kind of guidelines to be able to try to bridge that gap so that the data becomes actually useful.
0: Of course. So one of my favorite quotes from this book uh, that I actually referenced during my workshops, may I recite it? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, Many of the audiences we design for are unfamiliar and inexperienced with getting value from the data, even in small doses. Presenters of data need to meet their audiences where they are in ways that their audience can comfortably engage with content. I love that so much because it's not so much about the fact that the problem is they don't get it. It's about creating a language that both of you can speak. So can you talk about some of the first things the analysts can do to meet their audiences where they are?
2: sure i think i think the first thing and this is sort of in some ways the foundation that i feel like we built juice as a company on is having a lot of empathy for that audience to understand who that person is that you're presenting data to and what their really what their job is and and even more than that within their job what are the types of actions that those people can take one of the things that i that i feel like is a struggle that a lot of analysts run into and people working with data is that they're they fall in love with the data they fall in love with the analysis of that data and they don't realize that the audience that they're delivering that to does not love the data as much or doesn't love the analysis hasn't lived with it as much as the analyst has and as a result you know they the analyst can just keep a lot of information out there and not really curate the information in a way that's going to be so that they're they're ultimately helping the person who's receiving it. So it's really you know the starting point is always getting in the shoes of that person. You don't want to be presenting data, for example, that's that the person looks at it and says, "Well, that's interesting," but I don't know how to. It's very easy, I think, to deliver things and have people just get frustrated because. They can't solve that problem. They have a bunch of levers at their disposal, but they can't solve the problem you're you're sharing with them. So, you know, understanding them and the actions that they can take in their job is the is the best place to start, in our view.
0: I agree, a hundred percent. One of the little bits of tough love that I give people during <laughs> uh, conferences and stuff is when you walk into a room with your stakeholders, what they're really thinking is, "Hey, I don't care about what you do." all day (laughs) you know i it's nothing personal really i like you're a great person um but i've got my stuff to worry about and i don't necessarily want to know how hard it is that of what you're doing i just want you to tell me how to move my business forward in a way that i understand quickly and easily and like you said in a way that makes me want to act and i think when people and analysts really reframe to that and start trying to hear what it is your clients are asking for or need rather than listening to the words of can I just get this dump of numbers? I think that's when the real magic is gonna start happening. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a, a little bit of um from the analyst or the presenter's perspective, I think some of what you're pointing at is comes out of a fear that, that people won't take them seriously, won't realize how much work has gone into something or Understand all the, you know, everything that's behind it. I mean, what you're pushing for, and I think we push for, and everything we do is like, how do you make this stuff? How do you make the result of that analysis super simple, as simple as possible, but not in a way where you haven't thought about it? You know, it's mm-hmm. the it's the simplicity on the other side of complexity is the way I like to think about it. That where you're you've gone through the work, and then it gets, and then you've really nailed down the key issues. And I think as a presenter, you can feel like, well, if I make it that simple, people won't feel that I've <laughs> right. had analysis work or not thought about it. But it's quite the opposite, actually.
0: It's the value they create, right? Not the difficulty of what they're doing. And that's a good reframe, too, You know, for thinking about what the ultimate goal of your role is as, as an analyst, um, not to just do something difficult. Um, that's great. Um, I have another quote for you guys. So it's about how the poor craftsman blames his tools. I love that. Um, Here we go. So communicating data is far more about the people creating data products than the technology tools they use. Start by refining the skills of the individuals using these tools, even if they're simply PowerPoint and Excel. And that really resonated with me because I feel sometimes we look for a solution to the tools that we already have around, by using this next big flashy one that comes along, instead of building a really solid foundation of data presentation, and then you guys give a, a really good framework for exploring that. So, would you like to expand on that a little bit?
2: For us, the uh, that that is really critical. The kind of sense of you know learning the fundamentals and any tool can help you deliver and present data really effectively if you know how to use it. Um, one
1: one thing I found. Uh, as you get better, and I, I spent a ton of time in Excel. And as you get better with the tool, you get kind of beyond this point of when you get to this level of mastery, you can start being creative with things again. Mm. If you understand things things deeply enough, and that can work. Anything, even even fairly simple tools, if you understand them really deeply, you mm. can start to to think creatively with what you're going to do with them and recombine things in interesting ways. Mm-hmm uh so we had like one of our very oldest stories is when we started juice we we had this we needed to do this sort of bubble flow chart that showed how students were moving throughout a school year and between all these different states and this is something we we wound up building a tool in excel again using a the excel kind of xy bubble chart that most people are probably familiar with but we really pushed it to extremes to, to movie making level extremes by rendering one chart for each day and then assembling them into a movie and make <laughs> wow, all yeah. move very smoothly and so that's the kind of fun things that you can do and it was it was an interesting tool but it's the fun things you, you can do when you kind of when you get to the level of mastery with one tool instead of just moving on to something else and then being able to use it creatively for new things
0: I love that I can't even say that I've mastered any one tool enough <laughs> to use creatively, <laughs> except for PowerPoint, well, maybe.
1: <laughs> well, those moving targets—like there's yeah. always going to be someone
0: better. Of course, we're all on a spectrum.
1: anything, so so, there's a there's a tiny bit of tension, though, in that
2: question for us, because uh, while well, we totally believe that there are a lot of solutions and a lot of ways to solve these things, on the other hand, we've set out as a company to build what we want, what we believe is kind of the best possible tool for for visualizing and presenting data and communicating, especially communicating data to non-analytical audiences. So thinking about kind of the end users of data and the people who are not that comfortable with working with data and don't work with it every day, but still are the decision makers on data. And we so a lot of our mission, despite that, that point, is to say, can we create something that has built in all of our best practices in thinking about the best ways to visualize data and to help non-expert users flow through and interact with data in a way that will um, that really makes it easier for anyone to be able to communicate with data now it's still everything that you you teach and that is necessary around understanding what do you want to say what is what do you want to focus on in the data is still in something that no tool can solve for. I think getting your message clear is something that people should not expect a tool to help them with. You know, getting the sense of uh, who that audience is and what questions you're trying to solve for that audience. You know, it's not a technology question. That's a a question you have to solve on your own. But on the other hand, we built a tool that we feel like is really good. (laughs) If you know that stuff, to turn that into an, an awesome interactive application.
0: Well, that's an excellent segue then into one of my next questions. So I'm assuming you're talking about Juicebox. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Juicebox, Um, I got to preview this when I visited you guys a few months ago in Atlanta, and I was really blown away because I was like, oh, another data fizz tool. Yay. But it was so much more.
2: (laughs) There are a lot out there.
0: (laughs) But it was more than just data visualization. It was a dialoguing tool, if, if anything, and in, in no way meant to like replace a role of an analyst or anything once I wrap my hand around it. Um, but it's it's really an exciting new service you've developed for organizations to become more data fluent. So can you tell the listeners all about Juicebox? I
2: certainly can. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I think you pointed, you're pointing out a very, you mentioned a really important piece of it is that we, we do want to, Juicebox does focus on visualizing data and doing that in great attractive easy to understand ways and it and it also is really based around this idea of trying to guide users through the information so that a new person looking at it has a very clear sense of how they should traverse the data and explore it and get to answers but that piece about um, creating a dialogue around the data is stuff that that we're really um, interested in building into juicebox which is we sort of view that the visualization of data as more of a starting point than an ending point. You know, it's the point where you start to see insights, start to see things that you might want to do something about. But then, once you see that stuff, you're going to have to go talk to your colleagues, talk to your boss, uh, talk to your customers, discuss what you're seeing. You know, so there's really, it's really the starting point of a conversation, and we have features built into. Juice box to allow you to have those conversations capture the insights that you're finding and then ultimately you want people to do something about that data take some action on what they're seeing and that's that's a part that we're also extending into getting people they're trying to help guide people to what are the things the actions they can take based on what they're seeing in the visualizations so is that you know we sort of view it as this whole progression of going from data to action, and, and there are a series of, and, and making that really easy for end users to be able to do through the kinds of applications we the juice box creates. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what I loved about it when I saw it in action was sort of this question answer, almost like a choose your own adventure is <laughs> kind of how it struck me, um, where it would start with this sort of overarching bird's eye view question that a stakeholder would normally have because it's tailored to their specific questions. And then you'd manipulate the the graph and explore it. And then it would filter down to new questions. Is that right?
2: That yeah that's exactly right. And that's the thing that's resonated a lot with our customers is that sometimes they'll call them question stories or
1: yeah. and
2: choose your own adventure is a great one. You know, we're <laughs> trying to give it so that there's kind of this path that we're guiding the users through. Now they have a lot of control as to what they focus on, what what's interesting in the data, and the ability to select things that they care about. Um, but we may, we contrast that with a tool like Tableau or Excel or a lot of these other things that are really meant for free free range exploration of data. Um, you know, we're and and those tools are great, and they're they're especially good for analysts who know what the data means and are power users and know how to use all those features. We're much more saying, you know, users of our products are are nurses and administrators and marketers and salespeople, you know, who really want to get on with their job. They want to go through that question story, find the insights, and then make a decision and and move on. And they're not, you know, not, they're not there to muck around in data for, for the <laughs> entire day.
0: Really? I thought that's. Yeah, that's no, true. Thought,
2: it's oh. true. They don't want to do that.
0: Shocking. <laughs> and that's actually a really good point because one of the first questions that came to my mind when I saw the demo was where does JuiceBox fit into the portfolio of visualization tools for an organization? Does it replace Tableau? And you guys really explained it well. This is not an analyst's tool, this is really. The end user's tool, and I think that's great because the analyst can still play all day into Tableau to their yep. heart's content and still be valuable in exploring beyond what the defined dialogue that you've created with Juicebox. But um, I also think it's great because I think it'll alleviate some of that constant pressure for data puking from the analyst and, mm-hmm. and kind of the data re- just the retrieval of it constantly, yes. and, and really allow them to leave more time for exploratory exercises.
2: Yes, I think that a, that's a good description. Very much. I mean it sort of falls more into the realm of interactive reporting or dashboards. A lot of our clients are using it um, in a re- in the area of what we call data products or data monetization where they want to take the data they have and and build solutions that they could sell or deliver to their customers. So, you know, it's it's about when you have to deliver data to Big broad audiences, and you want to do it in a more directed and kind of guided way. That's that's much more the use case than the, the analyst um, trying to find the new insight in the data.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, what kinds of data have you applied Juicebox for, just to give the listeners a sense of you know that, and also how those stakeholders have interacted with it?
1: We have a number of of clients of ours in the healthcare field,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so. Working with a number of companies looking at mostly we're looking at aggregate data. So we're not drilling all the way down to individuals, but uh, like things like what is the what is the knowledge of my nursing staff look like and how do I track and and manage that over time?
0: Mm-hmm. I see. OK.
2: And we've done. um it's a bunch of healthcare, a kind of operational running of hospitals, some of that. But also we've done stuff with economic development. So sometimes there the are organizations that kind of want to present their data publicly. Uh, we've, we've done a bunch of work uh, with um, universities looking at data that they have uh, around uh, proposals and grants. And I mean... It, Financial services, marketing, advertising, as you probably know, there's a whole bunch of opportunity um, between marketing data and the need to communicate marketing or advertising data to the clients of that and understand what's going on and how do we optimize our campaigns. That's a whole, that's a whole area where I think this type of presentation of data uh, can have a big impact. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think the applications are endless. And, you know, my listeners are based in the digital analytics and marketing realm. But I think that the medium of how Juicebox is distributed is actually lends itself really well to that kind of information and creates more of a savvy, I think, for the stakeholders as well. Um, So that's great. And uh, what kinds of results have you seen with your clients, you know, once they implement Juicebox? Is it an overnight sensation, or it takes them a little hand holding to walk them across the bridge. Uh, can you describe that?
2: Well, it often will delight the end users, <laughs> but, you know. So they because and and it's not always a high bar that we're clearing because you're, <laughs> you're dealing with you know oh the customer was getting a data extract or getting a giant Excel file or you know a, a dashboard that they could never really understand, and now we're giving them. A great-looking, interactive, easy to understand application—something that feels more like an application. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, on the other hand, I would say that you know, sort of goes back to our earlier conversation—that your audience is not as engaged with this data. They're never, you know, they haven't thought about it a fraction of how much we think about it. So there, there are still, you know, despite all our efforts to make data. Super easy to understand and try to explain it in the in those applications there are still you're often kind of exposing people to data for the first time because mm-hmm. they opened up that Excel file that they got sent <laughs> um, so now they're now they're looking at it and they're like well i don't I didn't realize this was going on or what does this stuff mean mm-hmm. and you know those raise often raise really great questions i think I think one of the things that's been surprising to me is how much when you actually start to present data to a broad audience how you start to you kind of turn the rock over of of what's really going on inside businesses mm-hmm. and people start to discover things about well the quality of the data what the data means what customer what actions customers are actually taking mm-hmm. um in ways that people were um blissfully ignorant of before and and now you're shining a big bright light on it a lot of people have access to it and suddenly you know it can create some excitement um but that's you know that's what we set out to do i suppose
0: so it's it's like a culture shift it's getting people exposed and it's kicking up some dust but i think people can't like hide from it anymore <laughs> <laughs> once it's front and center like that and i i love kicking up dust that's that's great yeah. here. <laughs> What kinds of, so for the more technical side, you know, what kinds of data file types and things does it connect to? Is it really flexible? Um, Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, we're living, we're living in the Amazon web services world. Uh, And Amazon has built this amazing construction kit for developers of tools and techniques. And it makes you feel like a developer superhero. Um, (laughs) So... um, what we do a lot is we're pulling data into our system. We either reach out to somebody's database and, and run a query and perform kind of regular extracts, or often they're delivering data to us mm-hmm. on Amazon S3, which is just giant cloud in the sky of file storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll wind up we'll wind up pulling that in on our side and then uh, and displaying it. Um, but basically. Basically, we can kind of handle anything they've got.
0: <laughs> now, someone, uh, my listeners might be kind of wondering because a lot of our tools make direct API connections to our analytics platforms, like Google Analytics and Adobe Analytics. Um, what, how does that look on the horizon?
1: Yeah, most mostly what we're doing is we're pulling data in and running SQL-like kind of queries on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have built apps as well that connect directly to APIs okay. and so that's that is a, another possible way of delivering data into our system.
0: I see. Okay, great. So and I think it's important for folks to understand and still wrap their head is like versus a tableau where an analyst is going to be going to connect to an API or bringing in an extract from Excel and Processing that themselves in the tool. This is custom work that you guys do. Um, that's fully scoped out. Is that right? It's not self service Yeah, it's a
1: little bit. It's
2: it's certainly more hands-on than a than a Tableau. And Tableau is kind of a tool that people buy, and then you can do what you want with it. This is we do work with our clients closely on uh, designing the applications because and we have ten years mm-hmm. of experience in thinking through these kind of data problems and. Now we're using our, our juice box toolkit. It kind of allows us to snap together things quickly, but it is a little different than a tool that you're going to use on your own. That's, yeah, that's a good point. It's a little bit, I mean, the way, again, the the analogy that I would use is like, if you're putting together a PowerPoint presentation, you want to be very thoughtful about what exactly you want to show and how you want to convey that information. So a lot of our applications are really you want to think through what you're going to show and then, and you aren't in there kind of messing with it all the time once <laughs> you designed your story. Now Excel is a totally different environment, right? Where it's like, it's a sandbox to do whatever you like at any point. And if you're exploring stuff, you, you want that level of, of, uh, flexibility and to change things all the time.
0: So that flexibility is a good point because you're designing this dialogue essentially, are you finding that stakeholders want to come back and revisit and refine that storyline which creates yeah. a, a new view?
2: Yeah, they certainly do. Uh, and it you know one of our challenges with our when we work with customers is to make sure that we have kind of a first version of the application that we can launch because mm-hmm. there are always more ideas and more things that they might want to put into it, but yeah. You know, we sort of view ourselves also representing those end users and trying to keep things as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do run into situations where we've launched an application and, and it's out there and customers are using it. And then they come up, they start to discover what they're finding in the data. They start to think of new questions. There's always, as you know, like in an analysis, really, you're, you're always just finding the next question. You, of course. you find a good insight and it's going to spawn a bunch of new questions. And that happens in our stuff too. And then, and when we do that, we have a very modular structure in Juicebox that allows us to add new pieces in order to support those additional parts of the
1: story that we might want to tell. Hmm, okay. We are. I, I really like that you use the choose-your-own-adventure uh, analogy. <laughs> can it.
0: It's mine
1: because we're. <laughs> it's what we're working on right now on the development side is is making this right now it's modular, but the next version of what we're doing is is really going to embrace that choose your own adventure kind of metaphor mm-hmm. and and let people have all kinds of different flexible personalized ways of, of going through the story. So if I need to go through it in this particular way every time, I'll do that. But if Zach has this other kind of thing that's a priority for him, he'll see a different story when he comes in, but all built off of the same building blocks.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's great.
1: We'll show you that when it's available too.
0: Oh. <laughs> Stay tuned. Can't wait. Well, I think one of the things that you said is really powerful, which is about one question leading to the next, right? I think that is the true power of the work that analysts do, and it's like the day you run out of those questions, you're like, "Uh, <laughs> all right. We're done.
2: <laughs> solved it. I solved this business. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that happen yet. So I don't know Question I mark
0: profit. <laughs> <That's> like <laughs> where it ends. So I think that's fantastic, and I love that Juicebox is enabling your customers to prompt more questions instead of just closing them out. It's great. I'd actually love to jump back to the book for a second because there's one thing in that book that I have to share with the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's the data presentation style guide, which was just one of the most useful things that I've ever gotten from a book and um, transformed the way that I do my own work and I've adapted it and leveraged it extensively for training for other people. So can you talk a little bit about what a data presentation style guide is and how you've seen it most effectively used?
2: Yeah, so when when we were doing custom projects for often for enterprise clients, or that had you know they had a bunch of ways that they were delivering data internally and externally. Um, on a couple of occasions, they would come to us and say, you know, can you create kind of a unified look and feel for all this stuff? And and it sort of goes, some of it goes beyond look and feel, right? Is you want um, you want a consistent way that you deal with fonts and colors and sizing of things that's certainly that's kind of the almost like a brand if people have seen brand style guides Mm -hmm. that's a pretty common thing to have so we kind of part branding guidelines of saying when we show things we're going to show things in consistent fundamentally sound ways then the other piece of it i think is to uh it's almost like a training guide because you're also you also want analysts and everyone who's a data producer or an author of data products to be delivering things in consistent ways and and thinking about things in consistent ways. So you know, when do you use a bar chart and when do you use a line chart? And what are the guidelines around the best ways to present things at different times? And so we we did that a, a couple of times with clients and delivered that as kind of as essentially a deliverable for some projects so that across everything they did, they could have, you know, consistency and quality in, in the presentational data. And then it was something that we felt like would be useful to incorporate into the book just as a, as a concept. And we have a, I believe we have an appendix in there that has, um, an example of a bunch of pieces of guidelines. Of that oh nature. yeah.
0: I have that like papered all over my wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole book was amazing, but then I get to that last part and I was like, Oh my God, what is this? Um. <laughs> Wow. It's amazing. And what I also love about the style guide is it is branding guidelines for charts and graphs, which is great. But one of the, my favorite things about it is using colors to emphasize key points in data, which is, I think, one of the most under leveraged techniques when we present information. You know, most of the time you see a default color palette being used to present data Um, and the color isn't used intentionally to create a message essentially. And that might've been my favorite part of the style guide is showing how to uniquely emphasize a piece of data that is telling your specific story using color.
2: One of the most common things that people do is they will take a bar chart and have every bar be a different color. You probably see this, the defaults in a lot of tools are that way. They'll, you know. All right, we're, we're a Mac company, but Apple does that stuff too, where they'll just be different colors for no particular reason. And mm-hmm. it's it's not helpful for the audience of that. And it's also a lost opportunity because, you know, the use use of emphasis and the use of color can really make things pop out, but not if everything is popping out at once.
0: Right. <laughs> Nothing is special if it's all special. <laughs> So uh, one other piece I wanted to point out uh, from you guys is this really awesome white paper called Dashboards People Love to Use. So I constantly get asked about dashboards. I haven't really gone deep in with it with my own content, but um, it's like all people can think about. So one of my favorite concepts in the white paper is your methodology for understanding a dashboard's true purpose. (laughs) It's like, Oh, you mean before you start creating boxes in Excel? and throwing stuff in there there's some work to be done so can you explain a little bit like what that work could be
2: yeah i mean i think this ties it really it ties back to the who you're trying to deliver this to and how they're going to how they're yeah. going to use it and i think that it is really you know we i've done this certainly it's easy to just kind of put things on the page and 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 what you do when you just put everything out there to me, is you're putting the burden on the viewer of that to go make sense of it on their own. And, you know, so then they've got to go traverse all this information, find their way around, figure out what what they should care about or whether any of it's relevant to them. And I think so, you know, we really do start, I, I often will just start with almost viewing this stuff as um, an outline for a paper. You know, if you're going to write a write a paper of some type you would before you start just writing everything down you would say you know what is the structure of this thing what is the you know what is my starting point what are the underlying supporting points beyond that what is the conclusion which should be kind of what is the place i'm trying to take people to so that they're going to change their behavior you know doing doing that in a just a written form even writing it on paper so you're not so you aren't trying to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks is is the way we um, generally approach that stuff, and then you know the other thing that I think we emphasize in that paper is that you don't really need to try to cram everything onto one page. This is a, a kind of a <laughs> sort of a dispute that we've had with some people out there in, in this space. Is that I, I think we've moved beyond the, the age of feeling like. You know, let's, you got to cram everything so everyone can see everything all at once. I think it, generally, there's no way for someone to comprehend everything all at once, to squish it in there. And there's a lot of sacrifices, of course, you make when you're yeah. trying to squish everything in a small space. You know, let them, um, you know, let them focus on the pieces that they care about. Certainly, it's important to have context. I think that's the argument for having everything on one page. But there are ways to get to that context that don't require you to to um, cram everything all together.
0: I'm a full proponent of multi-page dashboards, which may be an oxymoron. <laughs> but I mean, you have different audiences that, and different cuts of information that might need to go a little bit deeper in some areas, but you don't need to be in that bird's eye view on the first page. So I'm not opposed, but I, I also don't believe There's- in 20-page dashboards.
2: <laughs> no, no, that would be too much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, what I also love about that white paper is there's a whole breakdown, like checklist for outlining the scope of the communication of the document. And I thought this was so great. So do you envision when you give that framework to people, is there like a document that they're creating that has all these things down that everyone is buying into so that there's like full expectations set around what they're going to be getting?
2: That would be a very thorough way to approach it. <laughs> okay I suppose that would be good if, if people do i don't I'm not sure that we're even that disciplined in the things that we do um I think a lot of those things are trying to get your head in the right place of what what you should be thinking about. We iterate a lot on our designs when we're putting together dashboards for within juice box and you know it's 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 one thing to kind of gather everyone's requirements and talk everything through but I think at some point you want to you want to create a a prototype or starting point on something and then start to gather people's feedback on that. I think it's like the the difference in conversation between um, that kind of where you're kind of sitting with someone and just saying, tell me everything you want to know. That just turns into kind of a pile of a lot of data and everything and people don't want to leave anything out versus I think it's we found it a lot more productive to think about the problem, understand what we're, what the real core of it is, then design something and walk your audience through something that where you've got some visuals on the page and they can start to realize this is what I'm going to see, this is how I can interact with this data and does it is this going to be useful for me? And then iterate on that kind of um mock up or prototype of a dashboard.
0: Mm, I see. Well, I think it's fantastic. And I'm definitely going to have a link to that white paper, a link to the book, and of course, the juice box, all on the show notes page for this episode. So guys, I call the next segment, The Upgrade, which is a power tip for Excel, PowerPoint, any analytics platform, viz tools that we use to do our job better. So do you have anything fun for us? So one of the ones,
1: um, so we had spent some time talking about like, style guides, and the, the predecessor of the style guide is this uh, blog post that's we talked about a while ago, uh, quite a while ago, actually, called uh, Simple Font Framework. Hmm. So this is kind of like the, the simplest thing you can possibly do to make fonts in your presentation or in your dashboard look good. Hmm. And it should be the first result you find if you Google for that on the web. Um, it's on our website. And it's a set of just a couple of different rules um, that'll pretty much be guaranteed to give you something that looks good. Uh, (laughs) Nice. So look it over. It's like the simplest style guide that you can possibly do. Cool. Uh, Look it over and do it.
0: Anything else? One of the things that
1: I think
2: it's a little bit more of a framework than a specific tip, but I think it's worth putting out there that we essentially live by for a long time is is trying to separate make a real distinction between the data we we kind of we have this framework we call DTP which is data transform and present okay. and making a distinction between those layers so you aren't trying to do you aren't trying to deal with your data or transform your data at the same time you're presenting it really trying to step through like and when you and we apply this we Really early on, when we did a lot of things in Excel, we would apply it. It's it's, it's very simple in Excel. You have a tab that is your raw data,
1: mm-hmm.
2: transform that in in pivot tables or whatever other ways that you are transforming and um, turning that, making that data useful on a separate tab. And then a third tab is the place where you are presenting things. Right. And when you separate things out that way, it becomes a lot easier to. Decide different ways you want to present things without breaking the, the raw data itself. Understanding problems in the raw data and fixing those, and having that flow through to the presentation layer. I think you often find, that, you know, for the analysts out there, that it, it can be very easy to kind of have have all those pieces mixed up together on the you know on the same sheet. and You're trying to do everything all at once, and and the separation of those things is really going to help you in the long term.
0: You know it's funny it sounds a lot like a term that we use in our field which is ETL extract transform and load where it's that three part process of pulling your raw material transforming it through your own hygiene and processing and then loading it into kind of the visuals so it's yeah. it, I, I see the similarities and I think that I think that transform part is so crucial where that's the part that the stakeholders should never even know is happening Almost.
1: (laughs) I agree. Absolutely. Well,
0: those are great tips. Um, So, this is the last question. So, think very hard here. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're completing your WAD at CrossFit in the morning when you trip and fall through a rip in time, and you're brought back to the precise moment you're about to give your first big presentation. What would today you say to then you?
2: The the today me would say, and we've talked a lot about. Audience, um, but today me would say that you would have to that it's important to make the things that you're doing um, and you're presenting really personal to the audience. Like I, I think in a lot of this analysis stuff, it's very easy to have everything is kind of abstract mm-hmm. in what you present, and it doesn't. Um, and you can make a very compelling analytical case to do something to make change some behavior. But if you don't mix in some really personal, real piece of it, mm-hmm. then a lot of people don't have an emotional hook to what you're presenting. Mm-hmm. So for example, we've done over the years a bunch of stuff with students in in online schools and things that things that are going on with them. And we can talk about turnover and retention and, and issues of you know how people are performing, but Sometimes bringing that analysis all the way down to a personal level of here's an individual student and the, what they've gone through and and connected in that way that people can um really understand that this data has a human face to it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I think is something i mean you get you see that in the like the state of the union or something like the president the president you know there are big broad things and ideas that they're presenting, but also you say like see this person in the crowd and and their particular story. I think that kind of stuff is something that past me did not understand very well.
0: I totally agree. Aggregate numbers are great for creating influence. Like this is affecting this much of our population. But I think the magic really happens is when you create a potential scenario that matches the experience that you're seeing your data describe but relating that to an actual customer and putting a face to that customer almost like a persona i've had really great results with doing that and um it's true it's really about the person right that's great so guys unfortunately we've run out of time i could go on forever but um i would love if you could tell the listeners where they can keep up with you guys yeah
2: you should certainly uh come to our website at juiceanalytics.com would love it if you if you want to reach out we're you know we love to talk to people um certainly can share a demo of Juicebox if you're interested. And you can follow us on Twitter at Juice Analytics.
0: Awesome. Well, this, I think, is going to really blow a lot of minds for these listeners to hear about Juicebox and just the whole approach of really making this work in your organization. So it's really been a pleasure. I've loved getting to know you guys. You've had such a profound effect on my work. And um, it's been amazing really having you today.
2: Great, thank, thank you. you for
1: your time. Thank you. Live fun.
0: you bet yay, you know one of the best parts of this whole gig. And the podcast is being able to connect with these amazing minds in this industry that I have respected and idolized for so long, who have had such a huge part and role in changing the way that I think about presenting data and how I help teach other people. And I'm just so, so grateful for that every single day. And I really, really hope that you found this valuable. You can catch Zach and myself speaking at the Nashville Analytics Summit on August 11th and 12th, just a few weeks away. They have an incredible speaker lineup ranging from data science to data visualization to professional development. So it's really promising to be a stellar event. So when you register, be sure to use my special discount code, which is Summit Speaker 2016. That's all one word. And that will also be listed on the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 021. You'll also find all of the links to follow my two guests today and all of the resources mentioned on that page. I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting your information, doing data visualizations awesomely, and anything else you'd like me to talk about. Or you can tweet me a question for the show by including my Twitter handle, which is at Leah and including the hashtag PBM, as in present beyond measure. And if you or your team is ready to take your analytics presenting skills to a whole new level, please book me for a private workshop, which is my entire toolbox for creating presentations with lasting impact. You can find out more information about that at leahpica.com workshop. And today's presentation inspiration is from Henry Hubbard, which is... Wherever there are data to record, inferences to draw, or facts to tell, graphs furnish the unrivaled means whose power we are just beginning to realize and apply. Mm, good stuff right there. I would love to hear about how this is helping you untap the power of your graphs. Until next time, namaste. And that's a wrap. Woohoo! You can catch Zach and myself speaking at the Nashville Analytics Conference on, 11, on 11th. At. <laughs>
1: we tie every point we made to a relevant uh, Pixar movie.
0: <laughs> Sorry?
1: Yep. I just said great. Oh, great.
0: Okay. great. <laughs> I Thank thought you said you. wait. And I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um could happen could, uh, could happen <laughs> How's it? hey i've had that happen wow <laughs>